Come, Holy Spirit, renew our hearts and kindle in us the fire of your love. My brothers, my sisters in Christ, chances are you could beat me at chess. The reason that chess is so difficult, the reason that I am so terrible at it, is because of the way that you have to think in order to be good at chess. They tell you that you have to be able to see the board. You have to know where all the pieces are. You have to know the, the typical things that each piece can do. And you have to be able to, to think a couple moves ahead. After you move this piece there, what are you going to do next? And stuff like that. And the problem is, your opponent is doing the exact same thing the whole time. Looking at where your pieces are, looking to see if you have any weaknesses, looking to get you in to checkmate. And so what always happens to me is I'm just kind of moving freely, kind of willy-nilly, not really thinking about what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden, my opponent gets this little smirk on their face, and they say it, checkmate, game over. And the whole time I was making these little mistakes that added up to my defeat. No, the key to being a good chess player is to think the way a good chess player thinks, and that's just not me. And that's kind of what happened to David. David was king of Israel. He was a good guy by all of reports, but he wasn't perfect, and here's why. At a time when kings normally go out to war, David decided to stay home, and it was a big mistake. Because there he is, hanging out, hanging out on, the, on his palace terrace, and he spies a beautiful woman, and he wants to sleep with her. But she's married, and so is he. But he doesn't think about that. He sends someone over to get her and bring her to him, and he coerces her, because he's the king, into sleeping with him. She conceives an illegitimate child. And so David invites her husband back from wartime. He says, why don't you go home? Why don't you enjoy oneness with your wife? Trying to be sneaky, trying to get it to look like it was his son. But the soldier says, no way. How could I go home and enjoy the comfort of my wife's embrace when my brothers at arms are out there shedding their blood on the battlefield? So David says, fine. He sends him out, but he puts him at the front lines, guaranteeing that he will be killed in battle. And he is. And then David takes his widow to him and they get married. And to everyone, it looks like David's being compassionate to this widow, but inside, David knows he was just covering up his sin. Like losing a chess game. What started as one lustful look, one lustful thought, ends with full-fledged adultery and conspiracy to murder. One mistake after another, worse and worse. Check, mate, game over. And we're familiar with those checkmate moments, those moments that are obviously sin, when sin obviously has won. When the drunk driver kills a pedestrian who's just trying to walk home, that's a sin. We could call it as it is. When uh, someone who's addicted to gambling lands in quadruple-digit debt, with no means to pay it off, that's a sin. When husband and wife all of a sudden are screaming things at each other that they wouldn't say to their worst enemy, that is a sin. But sin, in every one of those cases, 
had started its course a long time ago. The person who goes to the bar with no plan on how to get home, but keeps ordering his fourth and fifth and sixth and seventh drinks, that's a sin too. The person who knows that gambling is a temptation but logs on to his online poker profile anyway, that's a sin too. The husband and wife who may, who may say nice things to each other, but in their hearts and in their thoughts think nothing but contempt for one another, have given up on loving each other a long time ago, that's sin too. See, just like David's sin started its course with a thought and ended with terrible actions, that's how sin is. And that's what makes sin so scary. Because even if you haven't walked the same path David walked, even if you've never committed adultery, and I'm assuming a lot of you have never committed murder, you know that the capability to do the same thing rests in your own heart. Because the problem is not on the, uh, with our outward behavior. Our problem starts with our heart. We are bad spiritual chess players. We don't think about the consequences of our decisions, of our actions, of our moves. We can't see the board. Our problem starts with this sinful heart that is beating in our chest, pumping sinful blood through our bodies. If we are going to get any better, if we are going to improve at all, it's going to need to start with our hearts. Otherwise, we deserve separation from God. God is holy. God is clean. God wants nothing to do with this sin business. So if we want to come to him, we have to get rid of it, but we can't. And so we know what we deserve. What's coming for us is finally that day when sin delivers that final checkmate. We realize what, our sin, what we've been playing into our whole lives. Eternal, complete separation from God. So what are we to do? We can't replace our own hearts. We cry out with David, create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Your heart is more than just the muscular organ in your chest that pumps blood through your body. Medically speaking, that's pretty much it. That's the whole story on your heart. But metaphorically speaking, like when somebody says, follow your heart, or what does your heart tell you? They don't mean, what does this thing tell you, right? They're more, more speaking about it like your mind, like your decision-making process. And that's what David means here. David is not saying to God, give me a heart transplant physically, medically, because his heart probably worked fine. David is asking God, change the way I think. Change who I am. And brothers and sisters, that's what we need to. We need not just a heart transplant, we need a spiritual heart transplant. So is that possible? Is that what God is going to do? Because we can't do it for ourselves. No, he does. And he has. Because of the verb David chooses. Create in me a pure heart. Who creates? God creates. Only God can create the way that God creates. My son can create a work of art 
with a piece of paper and a couple markers. He can also create a big mess. But God, he creates using no raw materials, but by the power of his word. God created the heavens and the earth. He didn't grab building supplies. He didn't consult anyone. He didn't go down to McCoy's to get some wood and stuff like that. He spoke everything that exists into existence. That's the power of the word of God. So God creates for you a new, a clean, a pure heart by the power of his word. And that's what we celebrate on Pentecost Day. When the Holy Spirit came to Peter and the apostles and those thousands and thousands of people who were there, people from all over the known world at the time, speaking several different languages, they heard the word of God preached to them. And what exactly did they hear? They heard about sin. They heard about how damning sin is, how dangerous it is, how you can be sinning without even realizing it. Peter goes on to say that you crucified Jesus thinking you were killing a criminal. We can sin in big ways without realizing it, but that wasn't the whole message. Peter and the apostles preached sin, and then they preached grace. They preached repentance. They said that even though you sin in all these ways, and we know our mistakes, that God saves that god creates everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved that's the power of the holy spirit working through the word and on that day on that pentecost day thousands of people's hearts were opened and the holy spirit created new hearts and they started to believe in jesus as their savior because that's what the holy spirit does and that's what he did for you. What was your baptism? If not the moment that the Holy Spirit opened your heart and created a new one, a pure one, a clean one, a forgiven one. What is the Bible? If not the tool that the Holy Spirit uses to strengthen your knowledge of your forgiveness and your love in Christ Jesus. To connect you to the message of how Jesus suffered the effects of sin on the cross, the message of how you do not need to fear being separated from God because Jesus was separated for you. And as dirty and as sinful as we were, God draws us near and cleans us up. He has given you a new heart. He has given you a mind transplant. The guarantee of the Holy Spirit is a new heart which means a new mind, which means a new life. Thanks to the Holy Spirit, you will never be the same. And he's not done with you, is he? Because we're not in heaven yet. There is still sin spooking around. There's still temptations to fight. There's still a life to be lived. But the guarantee of the Holy Spirit is that it's not up to you to win your own chess game. The Holy Spirit is your power is your salvation to live with your new heart. That's why David says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. To sustain me for what? To sustain me in my life for you, O oh Lord. You know, typically, 
when we talk about repentance in church, that's one of those big church words, right? Repentance. The way that I usually explain it is that repentance starts by knowing what sin is. Repentance continues by knowing who your Savior is. And repentance finishes by looking at your sin and not wanting nothing to do with it anymore. That's repentance. Psalm 51 is your premier psalm about repentance because it's all there. Sorrow over sin, trust in Christ for salvation, and a desire to change. All of it's there. But notice what David adds. Notice what new direction he goes in. Because David says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. My tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. See, brothers and sisters, with your brand new, with your clean, with your pure heart given to you by God through the Holy Spirit, you are called to do more than just struggle. You are called to do more than just look at your own battles. You are called to help those wounded on the battlefield. It's like you were playing chess against sin, and you were losing bad, like you were me playing chess. But God, through the Holy Spirit, comes and he turns the table around. So now you've won. Checkmate. Sin is defeated. Death is defeated. You win. But now you see how many other people are struggling that same struggle you struggled. Help them by showing them the one way to salvation the one source of comfort. Show them what the Holy Spirit can do. He can create for you a new heart through the word, through the sacraments. Show them. And what will be the result? How will it turn out for us? David says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. God is not quite interested in outward obedience if it means your heart is far from him. God is not interested in creating a congregation of people who just act right if their hearts don't care about God. God is out to create a new heart the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus is a message for the heart. So when we share it, we share it with hurting hearts. We're not out to just convert the hands, create a group of people who act a certain way. We want people to know the love of Christ because then, and only then, will this happen. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Finally, we will get to sacrifice some bulls here at Trinity Lutheran Church. No. These are pictures David is using. Old Testament pictures because David is living in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, what was the picture of perfect worship life? It was sacrifice. That was people offering their worship to God. So how do we do it? David is picturing a group of people who offer their lives as sacrifices to God. 
David is picturing, and can you imagine it, a mass of individuals who make their decisions based on the new heart God has created for them. David is picturing a whole nation of people who love God and live it in their lives. Can you imagine? You should, because that's you. Right now, you are God's people, a people of new, brand new hearts. You have been gifted by the Holy Spirit with a new way to approach life. You offer your life, your thoughts, your words, and your actions as a living sacrifice to God, holy and pleasing to him. What a flip of the script, right? Before, because of our sin, we were to expect nothing but being separated from God. Now you can call yourself his holy people. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's not done with you. Because thanks to the Holy Spirit, you will never be the same. And that's a good thing. So may he keep working. May he keep changing you. May he keep growing that new heart that now beats in your chest. Amen. Would you please stand?